What a wonderful hymn of the faith that we are able to sing together and declare. And I know as some of you sing that, that there are things in your life that are going on in your life that you wish that weren't part of your life. And there were great difficulty whenever that song was written. Uh, and that song is, a, is an anthem and it's a declaration of the fact that no matter what happens to us here on this earth, that we are held by our Savior, and we can know the security in that, the love that we have from Christ through the trials of life sustains us. It holds us. And so I'm thankful for that hymn. I'm thankful that you sang it, and you sang it with all your hearts to the Lord Jesus. Um, whenever someone's not acting right, especially whenever it's a, it's a man and he's not acting like a man, we have this phrase, that we say to men, right? We say, man, man up, right? And so uh, today, as we look in the book of Revelation, and we're going to begin looking at the seven churches of Asia Minor, the Lord wrote to these churches uh, in the book of Revelation through the Apostle John. Uh, John was just a courier of the letter because the letter was penned by the hand of Jesus Christ to these churches, to encourage these churches that were going through difficulty and trial and persecution. And all of these things were happening to the church. And some of the churches needed some encouragement. They needed to be told, you know, you need to act like a church. You need to come back together. And so the title of the series is Church Up. And I hope that you'll take that phrase and you'll use it whenever uh, you're starting to feel a little bit down and feeling like a... Maybe the trials are starting to get to you a little bit and you're kind of starting to walk away a little bit from Jesus and kind of wane in your faith a little bit. I hope you'll tell yourself, hey, I need to church up. And I hope that you'll look at your brother or your sister whenever they're down and they're going through difficulty and trial and they're starting to kind of doubt a little bit. And you'll look at them in the eyes and say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But you need to church up. All right, so maybe um, that may be stupid, I don't know. But I, but I came up with it this week, Lord gave it to me, so hopefully I'm giving it to you. Who knows, in 20 years, people will be saying church up all the time, I don't know. We'll just coin that phrase. We'll use it, and, but you get the sense of it. You get the understand, you understand the, the purpose of that phrase. It's to encourage us when we're not acting like church people. And whenever a church isn't acting like a church, the Lord's telling that church, you need to church up. And today we're going to look at the first church in Asia Minor that the Lord writes to, which is the church of Ephesus. And that church was going through some difficult times. But, and they had, they had withstood the test of time. They had withstood trials. And they had withstood persecution. But something was leaking out of that church. And it was the love that they had had at first. And so the church of Ephesus is the loveless church. And Jesus wants this church to come back to the place from which they've fallen. That place of love for one another. That place of love for the Lord and love for His purpose. And love for reaching the people around them, the community around them. And so here is the biblical truth this morning that I want us to see before we read from Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Love holds the people of God together. Love holds the people of God together. That's, that's what keeps us from flaking off. Whenever there's difficulty and there's trials and there's troubles in the church, that's what keeps God's people together through the ups and the downs, 
through the good times and the bad times, from external pressures and internal turmoil, there is always love in the church. That's what holds it together. And if love is not in the church, you can't really call that place a church. And that's basically the, the threat that's come up against this Ephesian church. Because they had lost their love, they were in danger of losing their lampstand. Well, let's, let's uh, hear together the words of the Apostle John, the Revelator, in the book of Revelation chapter 2. Stand with me and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Verse 1 begins this way, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Angel, by the way, is probably most likely the pastors of these churches, as he says to angel. And then uh, write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That person has already been identified in chapter 1 as the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he who died and who has been raised again. He says, verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this, I ha- uh, this, uh, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let us pray together. I thank you, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, for the love that our church has for one another. I thank you, dear Lord, that love is in this house, and this house belongs to Jesus. Not the building, but the people. Lord, the building is yours too. It's all yours. Lord, I thank you that you have given us purpose. You've planted us here for a reason. We have a calling from you to reach those who do not know you with the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to never stop until you come. And so, Lord, let us never lose the love that we have for one another and the fervor that we have for your purpose. Lord, I pray that your lampstand that you have placed squarely in this church would never lose its place. That, Lord, your spirit would abide here. And, Father, that as a church we would grow together in our love and in our good deeds toward one another. And, Father, that you would give us ears to hear now what the Spirit says the churches. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so the first thing that we see here that the Lord Jesus gives to this loveless church is a commendation. Notice he he starts with the commendation in several places as he addresses the churches, as he speaks to these churches. He's lifting them up. 
He wants to lift them up and he doesn't want to tear them down. The Lord Jesus is never about tearing down his church or his people. He's always about building us up and helping us grow and leading us on. And he never wants to give up on us. But sometimes churches can give up on Jesus. And so here's the question that we got to ask. Can a church die? Yeah, a church can die. Now you say, well, wait a minute, pastor. You said that Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Yes, Jesus is building his church. But when does a church die? A church dies when it ceases to belong to Jesus. It dies whenever it begins to belong to us. And we, we see it all the time. Now, the church, capital C church, will never die. Somebody say amen to that. The church will never die. But a church, a local church, can die and they do die regularly. And so the lampstand can be taken away. And, and this is the admonition of Jesus' words to the churches is the ones that are off the rails, the ones that have lost the faith, and the ones that are infighting, the ones that have sin that is abounding in the church and no one's willing to repent. Those churches are in danger of the Lord Jesus taking the lampstand, which represents the Spirit of God in that church, taking that lampstand away from the church. Now, individual believers will never lose the Spirit who's within us, but a church can. A church can lose the Spirit of God dwelling among the believers. And so we never want this to happen. As we listen to the words of the Lord Jesus to the churches, we need to heed them. We need to hear them and heed them so that we will never, ever lose our lampstand. We want the Spirit of God in this place. Now listen to the commendation that he gives them. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. The church of Ephesus was planted right there on the Aegean coast, right across from the Grecian Isles. And it was in the midst of a crooked and perverse culture. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, prostitution, idolatry, homosexuality, the family structure was torn apart. You look at that church and you see the Church of America today. We're in the same situation. Christians were unfairly persecuted. And in the midst of all of that, the church is on the front lines of the culture war. From the very beginning of the planning of the church of Ephesus, when Paul first went there, there was turmoil because of the word of God. There was a lot of things going on. There were trials from within. Notice what it says, that there were those in the church that professed to be apostles, but they were not. They were false. And so the church had to stand that test, stand that trial of rooting out the false prophets, the false apostles in the church. But then there was also persecution from without. Look at what it says in verse 3. It says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And so there's, there's turmoil on the inside of the church that has to be dealt with. There's pressure from the outside and persecution from the outside. And it began that way in Acts chapter 19, verses 
23 and following, we, we see what's happening to the church. And, and you, can, you can turn there if you want to, or you can just write in your margin, uh, Acts chapter 19. I'm going to turn there because I want to read to you what happened. I had this marked so it wouldn't take me just a second to do it. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 19, it says in verses uh, 23 through 29, that at that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. At this point in time, the church was only called the way. It wasn't called a church yet. They weren't called Christians yet, but they were called the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis, Artemis is the goddess, basically, of fertility that they worship there in Ephesus. And so this guy, he brought no little business to the craftsmen. So he, so he was stirring it up. He was making it a big deal that Paul uh, was there preaching Jesus and Timothy. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. So was this a religious issue with Demetrius? Not at all. It wasn't about the truth to him. He didn't care about the truth. What did he care about? He cared about money. And so this was demonic, okay? It was the worship of material goods, the God of mammon. And then verse 26, And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into uh, disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. I mean, he's stirring them up good, isn't he? That our temple is going to get torn down if we keep letting people preach about Jesus. And that she may be even deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. (laughs) He didn't say you and I worship. He said all Asia worships it and we're making money off of it and this is threatening to us. He's stirring them up good. And by the way, Artemis, if she's any god at all, could she be deposed by some preacher from from Israel? Absolutely not. Why was she deposed? She was deposed because she's no god at all. She's not a goddess. She's a false god. And so they had to deal with false teachers inside of the church, and they had to deal with false religion outside of the church, and they were bearing up for the sake of the Lord. When you look at the church of Ephesus, they look like an embattled church, backed against a corner, licking its wounds. The, the one commendation that is given this church that the Lord says, He says what to them? I know. Notice that he says it twice. He says it in verse 2, verse, verse 2, the beginning. It says, I know your works. I know that you've been serving me. And he says, I know your toil. I know that you're going through a difficult time. And I know your patient endurance. I know that you're enduring through it and that you're being patient and you're not giving up. And then I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So you, you're, you're hating evil. And, and then goes on later and he says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. So they're, they're hating evil. But the problem is they're not loving good. And they're not loving each other the way that they should. I, I think, you know, this, this word to them 
that the Lord is telling them is you don't have to face these things alone. And some of you, you need to hear this today. You need to hear it in your heart because you're not filled with hatred. You're just filled with hatred. You know what I mean by that? Hurting people hurt people, right? And you need to hear the Lord Jesus say to you, I know. I know what you're going through. I know how you're bearing up. I know what you're suffering. I know that you're hurting on the inside. But when you hear the Lord Jesus say, listen, I hurt with you. And I have hurt for you already. In fact, the Lord Jesus bore it all. Everything that you're bearing right now, the Lord Jesus has borne himself. And he's bearing it up. And he took it to the cross. And he died for it. And that's what he's telling this church, and that's what he's telling our church. Listen, when we go through difficulty, when we go through persecution, and we face pain, the Lord Jesus said, I know, and if we remember that, we won't lash out against other people. You know, one of the most difficult times of your day is whenever you've been at it all day long, you've been bearing up under the weight of the load that's been on you, and then you, it's that first five minutes when you walk in the door to your family. And guess what? They haven't done anything to you. But you're hurting right now and you walk into that you walk into that home and you walk into that place that's supposed to be a, a place of of tranquility and a, a place of refuge from your day and you just begin to lash out here and lash out there and lash out there. But guess what? It, that's that's wrong and we shouldn't do that and we hurt people when we do that and the reason we do is because we've been bearing it all day. But we can do the same thing in the church too, can't we? can we can bring hurt to church and we can hurt each other and the lord jesus says listen i know what you're going through and i'm here for you don't take it out on one another and so we hear the commendation the commendation is they're bearing it they're bearing up and they're persevering but here's the charge he says, I know that you're doing this. You're bearing for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. But verse 4, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've walked away from it. Like war-torn soldiers, calloused hearts. Numb to their senses. Lacking a heart of obedience to the Lord and lacking a heart of compassion toward one another. They could not forgive each other. The love was lost. They were in danger of losing that loving feeling. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry. I always think of that song whenever I read this passage. Historically, the, the harbor of Ephesus was a great harbor at the end of a beautiful river that was a, a pathway to the interior of Asia Minor. And, and it was a deep harbor and a, a safe haven for ships. But because of the de deforestation that was happening uh, under Alexander the Great and then later on the, the Romans in that part of Asia Minor, 
the runoff was uh, causing sedimentation to come into the harbor. And eventually, about, about three centuries before Jesus ever walked the planet, that harbor was filling up. And so now the church was situated in a land that once was flourishing and thriving, but because of that deep harbor being filled with sedimentation, the great ships of the Mediterranean could no longer enter the harbor. And Ephesus began to slowly dry up as a city. And the church uh, was suffering as a result. They were suffering financially because of it. And what this really represents is how hurt and bitterness begins to slowly settle deep within our hearts if we don't deal with it. And what once used to be a harbor for other people to come to a harbor of love, for other people to come to you and know that you're going to pray for them and know that you're going to lift them up and encourage them, now it's a closed harbor and they can't get in. And the love that once was there is lost and the people around you are turned away when they should be brought in. What does it look like in the church with Christians growing suspicious of one another, backbiting, gossiping, not forgiving? The church begins to be weak because of the disunity. A church without love is like a ship without a rudder. It's going nowhere. It's just going in circles. It's like a tire without air. You might be going along, but it's a bumpy ride. And you're not going to get too far. It's like a burger with lettuce and tomato and pickle and onion and a sesame seed bun, but no beef in the middle. That's what it's like. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong bong, or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love I am nothing if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love I gain nothing nothing Paul says I'm a nothing burger without love you know another illustration that Paul uses about the church is that the church is a building, like much like the building that we have here. Um, and uh, asked Keith to bring me these bricks earlier. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, you shouldn't treat each other like outsiders. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice that, a dwelling place for God. The lampstand dwelling in the church. And Paul says each and every Christian is just like a brick. You're a brick. Not that you're a brickhead or something like that or a blockhead. I'm not calling you that, okay? We're all like bricks. And just as a course of bricks has to be laid on another course of bricks and we're all joined together, the same is happening in the church every day whenever a believer, whenever a person comes to faith, becomes a believer, they're added to the building as a brick. Laid upon bricks. So bricks are laid beside each other, and they're laid 
uh, in courses along top of each other. But here's the thing. Love is like the mortar holding those bricks together. And if you don't have the love that's in there, those those bricks won't be held in place and things happen and, you know, the rumblings happen and those bricks begin to shift and grind against one another. And they begin to, to scratch one another and, and, and it, some might even get crushed by one another because of what's happening. And it's, like, it's, it's things like, well, I don't like what you're wearing. Did you see what she was wearing? And they're just grinding against each other. I don't like how you, how he talks, and 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 uh, I, I think I think you you should be early to church instead of late, and all those things happen, or, or you know, FSU is better than Florida, you know, and, it, and the bricks are grinding on one another without the mortar. The mortar in between is the glue holding it together, and that glue is the love of Christ in the church. Without that, the devil, all he has to do is huff and puff. And that church is going to get blown down. And it'll just be a pile of bricks. Drive up through the Delta in Louisiana. What used to be a thriving church and community. All dried up. And all that's left is just a a shrine to what used to be a church. You pass by them and you wonder, what caused caused that to happen? Those bricks to fall. What made it happen? Well, I don't know the specific circumstances, but I know this. If love was in that church, the church would never die. Love is the greatest motivator in all of the world. Love will make a mother protect her children at her own peril. It will cause a, a man to sacrifice for the woman that he loves. It will cause a soldier to lay down his life for his country. But love motivated the Lord to condescend to human, into human flesh. To take up the old rugged cross. And to die in the sinner's place. Without love, the church of Ephesus would stop fighting for the Lord. And it was only a matter of time. And so you hear the charge. But then you hear from the Lord Jesus the challenge. Because he doesn't leave them there and just say, you don't love each other. And it's only a matter of time and you're, you're going to fall apart. He doesn't say that. He gives them the challenge as well. He tells them, listen, if you will remember and repent and recommit, if you will do that, then the Spirit will abide in the church. Now listen to what he says. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. If you've fallen, that means at one point you were elevated. At one point you were lifted up. What lifted the church? Come on, you know the song, church. Love lifted me. The love of Jesus dwelled in my heart whenever I came to know Christ. Whenever I put my faith in Him and I was baptized, I was on fire for Jesus. I loved the Lord Jesus and I loved His people. I couldn't wait to go to church. I wanted to be in the house of God. I wanted the people of God all around me. I wanted to be saturated with the love of Christ and His Spirit. And I wanted that so earnestly, so deeply, that it lifted me up. 
off of the earth like I was walking on cloud nine. And some of us, because we're weary and tired, and the world has brought us down, we've fallen from that place. And the Lord said, remember that. So if I could for just a moment, if I could just get you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you to remember that moment where you, whether you were in a, in a worship service with your hands lifted up high or whether you were coming down out of a baptistry after you'd been baptized or, or whether you were on a bar stool or whether you were in a ditch or whether you were on the job site, wherever you were, whenever you were overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and you felt the love of Christ rush over you from head to toe like you'd never felt before, I want you to remember that moment. I want you to think about that moment and remember what Christ did for you in that moment. And how He changed you forever. Now I want you to look up at me. You want that again? You want it every day? He can, listen, all it takes is for you to say to the Lord, Lord, let me feel that again. Let me have that again. I want that every day of my life. And he'll make you sing a song that sounds like, I love you, Lord. And I lift up my voice to worship you. He'll put it in your heart if you want it. Remember. And then, and then you've got to say, I, I don't want to stay here anymore. I don't want to stay down here anymore, Lord. I want you to lift me up. Because he says, repent. So the second word is repent. We remember. And then he says, repent and do the works you did at first. So there's a turning from sin. Turning away from doing evil. Turning away from unforgiveness. And turning away from unrighteousness. Turning away from bitterness. And saying, Lord, I'm, I'm done with that. That won't be a part of me anymore. And then we recommit. Notice he says, and do the works you did at first. So listen, they were still working for the Lord. They were doing all kinds of things for the Lord. But notice what Paul says, it doesn't matter all the things I do. If I don't do it in love, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans if I work until my fingers are raw, my back is tired and sore, and I'm totally drained. If I didn't do it with a heart of love, then it didn't matter. And Jesus says, you need to recommit to love. Now, some of you today, that's the admonition of the Lord. And when we have our invitation, the Christians in the room, listen, whenever it's time for that invitation, you, I'm going to call on you. You need to re, recommit to doing the work of love in the church. Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know why I could never just skip church, even if I wasn't the pastor? I know you think you've got to be here because you're the pastor. But you know why I could just never skip church? It's because I love the church too much. And for some people, it's, it's, just, it's just too easy for you to skip church. And the Lord's telling you that you need to 
get stirred up in your love and your good works. Notice what he says, though, next. He says, yet this, I, uh, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he adds that on, and he, he says, listen, this is the challenge is that you would remember and repent and recommit to love. But they're holding on to this hatred that they have toward the Nicolaitans, even though they've lost the love, they're holding on, toward, holding on to the hatred. And, and Jesus says, I even hate those things, too. But I don't think that this is a commendation. I think that this is even this is saying on top of all of that, the fact that you've lost the love, you're filled with hate. The the Nicolaitans are a religious sect that advocated a compromise between Christianity and the pagan cult, cultic worship of Artemis and some of the other gods. And so they're holding on to that fight. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's just like this, uh, you know, I don't think you should use that version of the Bible. I think you should use this version of the Bible. Or I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you should dress this way for church or not that way for church. Or I think that maybe the church should, shouldn't, you know, church ladies shouldn't wear those clothes or shouldn't go to those places or all of those things. And we let that kind of stuff be the main thing. And yes, yes, the culture that was around the Ephesians was evil, it was sinful, and they needed to, to fight against it, but they didn't need to make it the main thing. They didn't need to make the culture war their main thing. I mean, I hate abortion. I think abortion is from the pit of hell. I do. I, and I, because it hurts. Not just that unborn, that preborn child it takes that life, which is murder. It hurts that woman that man for the rest of their lives so i think it's evil i think it's horrible but i think that the church should make that the main thing that we just fight against abortion and that's all we do no i don't think so we can't make those things the main thing we have to make love and displaying christ's love that was so vividly portrayed on the cross the main thing we have to make that the main thing and the other things will fall into place. And certainly the Nicolaitans had gotten it wrong because they loved the world around them. And so there were even Nicolaitans in the church, not in the church of Ephesus, but in the church in Asia Minor. And the Lord Jesus is speaking to them in this verse too. He says, I hate that too. You hate it and I hate it. And so he's agreeing with the church in that sense. So Jesus is taking a side whenever it comes to the Nicolaitans and the the syncretism that was happening between Christian Christianity and cultic false uh, God worship. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anything loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. I remember I had a, one day uh, in, our, in our house, uh, I can't remember exactly which house this was. I'm pretty sure it was a house that we lived in in Macomb, Mississippi. Y'all know, we don't have horse flies around here quite as much as we did up in Mississippi. I know we have horse flies, but, but we have these little uh, deer flies here, or yellow flies, whatever you call them. They have these little yellow flies. I hate those things. They're horrible. But in Mississippi, we had horse flies that were, some of them were two or three inches long. I mean, they're nasty, giant things. And they land on you, and they suck all the blood out of you. We had one of them that was up in the corner, 
And uh, I didn't have anything to get him with that day, and I was kind of in a hurry to get out the door. And he got up in that corner, and I said, you know what, that's fine, you can just stay there. And I left, and I went on to work. And I came back home that evening, that guy was still there. And so I kind of looked at him, I said, if you won't bother me, I won't bother you. And I went on about my business, and the next day the horse fly was still there. And then the next day the horse fly was still there. And the next day he's... That sucker had climbed up in the corner, clung to the roof, and died. And he was dead on the ceiling. I finally got up there and knocked him down and swept him up. But he was just holding on. He was holding on and holding on and holding on, and he was just dead. Some of us are just holding on to things that don't matter. And we're going to die right there. And you've got to recommit to love and good deeds today. I hope that's not you, but if it is, I want you to do that. And so here's the last, last thing, the consolation. So he goes on to say, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, listen up. Hear and heed. I tell my boys something. And sometimes it goes in one ear and right out the other. It's one way of saying, listen up, everyone. Judge Judy always says, God gave you two ears and one mouth so that you'd listen twice as much as you speak. Hear and heed. It's up to us to listen. He who has an ear to hear. If the Lord Jesus is speaking to you through His Holy Spirit today, don't tune Him out. Don't turn Him off. Say, yes, Lord, here I am. Here is your son. Here is your daughter. Speak for your servant is listening. And then he goes on to say to the one who conquers. Well, who is the one who conquers? I used to think whenever I read this as a young man that the one who conquers is the one that, that, that holds on the longest. The one that's able to just, just stay, stay true. But that's not the biblical admonition. The Bible teaches us that those who conquer, conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony. They don't conquer because they've got a better holding power than someone else does. They conquer because they know the love of Jesus and they let the love of Jesus flow through them. 1 John 5, 4-5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And if you, if you know who Jesus is, and you know that He came and He lived and He died and He rose again, and that His love motivated Him to do all of those things, then you are the one who conquers. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You, are all, you, are, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. Listen, how do we know that we're the one who conquers? How do we know that we're the ones that uh, the church that 
The lampstand's never going to be taken away. The light's never going to go out. How do we know that? Well, we have love for one another. That's how. And so he says to that person, he says, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Not the one who's better than someone else. Not the one who's able to hold on the longest. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who believes in Jesus has the right to eat of the tree of life. That's amazing. Listen, one bite of the tree of life and all the hurt and the bitterness and everything that we've ever experienced here on this earth that's dragged us down will be gone forever. And you'll never have to experience it again. That's the promise. That's the consolation for the church that loves. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I know for some of you today, it's been a hard couple of years. We've had trials, trouble from without. We've had heartache and pain. We've had loss. Some of you have suffered unimaginable loss in your life. And there's pain. But the Lord Jesus is saying to you right now, I know. And not only does he say, I know, he says, I love you with an everlasting love. And I've got you. And I've made a way for all this to be right. But you've got to trust him. You've got to love him in return. And you've got to love others around you. And so he's calling you to, to come up from where you've been. Come up out of that sadness and, and difficulty and pain. And remember from where you've fallen. Remember the love that you had at first. And recommit to that. So this is your opportunity. I want all the heads bowed and every eye closed. And if that's you and you're saying, I'm recommitting to love, I want to love the church and I want to love my family and I want to love the Lord with a fervor like never before, I want you to just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I want you to just raise your hand and say, I, love, I want to love like I've never loved before. I'm recommitting right now. I see hands going up all over the congregation. Amen to that. Let me pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, you're hearing the hearts of those that are recommitting and they're coming back to you. They're repenting for any resentment or hurt that they've expressed upon another person. And Lord, they're saying to you, I want to I love you more than ever. And I want your love to flow through me to the people around me. And Lord, you're hearing that prayer, and that is the prayer of your heart. It is a command that you have given us to love. So Lord, find us faithful in that. Give us the grace that we need to be able to never fall from the place that we are right now, that you've lifted us up to stand upon. Lord, there's others in this room they don't know Jesus. They've never experienced His love. And Lord, as they pray to You right now to give their heart to You, I pray, Lord, that You would hear this sinner's prayer. And if this is You right now, You just repeat this prayer 
in your heart to Jesus. You're coming to Him for the first time and asking Him to save you. Say, Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong. I've failed to do what I know is right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. Jesus, I believe that because of your great love, you died on the cross for me. And you were raised again on the third day. And you are Lord of all. And so, Lord, come be the Lord and Savior of my life. I give my heart to you. Forgive me of my sin. Put your spirit inside of me. And give me a home in heaven. I'll love you and serve you for the rest of my life. Thank you for my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have a time of invitation. And this is your opportunity to respond to whatever the Lord has put on your heart, to make it public. If, if you're coming now and you, you're saying, confessing that I haven't been the loving kind of church member that I need to be, I haven't been the kind of loving husband or the loving wife that I need to be, and, and I, I want to ask the church to pray for me about that, you come. And our altar counselors will be here to receive you for prayer. And if you've asked Christ to be your Savior for the very first time today, that's not something to hold in. That's something to shout out, to let people know. That's something to be excited about. And we also want to offer you resources to help you grow, get you plugged in, and offer you believers baptism. So you come. This is your invitation. If you're coming to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, you've just kind of been a ship without a rudder, and you want to get it, get it straight, and you want to be plugged into this church, and join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church in the work for the kingdom, then you come. Let us sing.